Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. Today I'm talking with Wari Blackburn. She is a strong and gifted leader that has held several roles with Mercy Ships, and one of her roles was as the managing director. In this episode today, Wari is gonna give us some interesting insight about what it means to be the person in charge of a Mercy Ships vessel. So Wari, welcome to New Mercies. I'm really happy to have you on today. And before you share with us about being the managing director, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you first got connected with Mercy Ships? Well, I have been serving with Mercy Ships since 1994. I originally joined Mercy Ships when I had some friends who served on board our first Mercy Ship called the Anastasis. I had been friends with them for many years before they joined Mercy Ships and they joined the crew of the Anastasis when I was a teenager. And when I graduated from college, they invited me to visit them on board the ship and to consider joining the crew of the Anastasis. Hmm. And so as a college graduate, I went to visit the Anastasis, which used to come back and visit the United States periodically back in those days. So I was able to go on board the Anastasis as a visitor and spent some time with them and considered the work of Mercy Ships and decided to give it a year after my completion of my college degree. All these years later, I'm still here. Boy, that one year hooked you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What did you do that first year? Uh, I did a a training program that was required of all new recruits in in Mercy Ships at that time called Discipleship Training School. So I initially joined and completed that course in order to be eligible for ongoing service on board the ship. So I did that course. And then the first job that I had after I completed that study was to work in the ship's reception area, answering the phone and greeting guests and doing some embarkation paperwork and that kind of thing for the ship. So here we are at about 24 years plus of service with Mercy Ships. What aspect of Mercy Ships are you most passionate about as far as the mission, the organization? What gets your heart racing? What are you most passionate about? The thing I've seen happen for so many years, no matter what ship I've served on or what country the ship might be located in, is the potential for transformation that takes place in the lives of all kinds of people who are impacted by a ship mission. Whether it's the patients who receive surgery on board the ship, whether it's crew members who are serving on board the ship as volunteers, whether it's others who come alongside us in supporting the work that we're doing, lives are touched. Hmm. And it's a unique Uh, mission that we have that's a little different than most other missions that I've seen. And so we just have the privilege of seeing lives transformed by God's transforming power as we submit ourselves to what he's doing and and use the resources he's placed within us Hmm. for his glory. When I met you, your role on the ship was one of the most demanding roles that the ship requires, at least in my opinion. You were the managing director of the ship. So can you tell us a little bit about that role? What does that look like day in and day out? What does it mean to be the managing director of a vessel? Yeah, the managing director is the the Mercy Ship's leader of the the vessel in the field, wherever the ship is located. So Mm -hmm. I was responsible to ensure that the things that were taking place on the ship were consistent with what the organization expected and what our host nation expected from us. Before the ship sails into a port, an agreement is made between Mercy Ships and that host nation that we will conduct various projects and do them in a certain way. 
according to, to the preferences and desires of that country. And so it's the responsibility of the managing director to make sure that everything is done according to that agreement and to lead the crew and helping them understand, you know, the nature of what we're there to do and how we're to do it. And also just being a representative of Mercy Ships to others who are curious about the work that we're doing and want to know more. We have a lot of guests and a lot of visitors and a lot of partners who want to be part of, of understanding what's going on. So also being available to them to answer their questions, to get to know them and to build relationships with them. I had small children at that time. Well, I'm married to my husband, Brian, and, and Brian and I have twin daughters who are 13 now. So in 2017, when I accepted that position, my daughters were nine. Hmm. And as we um, prayed about it and sought the Lord, we just felt like it was a good time for our family to join the ship as a family and for me to be able to assume that position that I had relevant experience and training for and for, for my husband and my kids to also be part of that as well. Hmm. So we, we decided to do it as a family and, and it, was a, it was a great season of life for us for the three years that we were living there together. So Warren, you mentioned that your husband served on board as well. Didn't you actually meet your husband on board one of the ships? I did. Um, I'm married to Brian Blackburn. And he and I met serving on board the Anastasis. And Brian was on board the Anastasis before I was. He joined in the, the summer of 1994 as a school teacher. And he was a, a school teacher in the second and third grade. But because I had studied education, I was interested in the school on board the ship. And for those who aren't familiar with our ship environment, then the school that exists on board our, our vessels is a bit of a private area for the families and for the children who live on board the ship. And in general, all the crew members who live on board the ship aren't necessarily passing through the school on a regular basis uh, in order to give the kids their space to learn and, and to do that together. So on the Anastasis, the school was a bit of an off-limits area, let's say, and, and it was a mystery to me because I was a school teacher and I was interested in what was going on in there. And so one night after school was over in the evening, I saw that one of the classroom doors was open and I'm a little bit of a nosy kind of a person. And so when I saw that the little door was open, then I just poked my head in to have a look around to see what was going on back in that classroom. And there sat Brian oh. and he was in there doing his, his after hours grading or schoolwork or preparation. And uh, that was the first time that I met him in his classroom. And uh, over the next couple of years, we formed a friendship. Brian actually uh, left the Anastasis after after a while, because he was there with a one-year commitment and decided to leave after that. And uh, I continued on with the Anastasis longer than I originally intended. And then to make a very long story short, Brian decided to rejoin the Anastasis. And it was after that, that he and I, our friendship sort of changed from, from friendship to more of a romantic relationship. And we were married in 1997, about three years after we first met. Wow. And so, and now it's been 25 years this year that we've been married and continuing oh. to serve with Mercy Ships. Who would have thought? Congratulations. Yeah. 25 years. That's, that's really remarkable. And I think that's funny. Your curiosity did you well. <laughs> yes, just, it did. I, and Brian, it's so funny because Brian is a, a rule follower and I'm not so much. And so <laughs> he still gives me grief to this day that I was sort of, you know, breaking the rules a little bit by sticking my head through that door and well, you had mentioned earlier as the managing director that you deal a lot with the government officials or the leadership of the host country that Mercy Ships is serving in at that time. And why is it important that Mercy Ships connects with local government officials, aside from, you know, having permission to be in the country and um, stay at the port, et cetera? What impact do those relationships make for the country and for Mercy Ships? 
Mercy Ships was founded by a gentleman called Don Stevens. And Don recently released a new edition of his, his book called Ships of Mercy. And so um, if, if people are interested more in the history of Mercy Ships, that can be found in that book. And I was looking at it again recently and reviewing what Don wrote in the book about the way that Mercy Ships was founded and the, the ethos of where all of this started. In the early days of Mercy Ships, Don felt it was important that our ships be invited to the countries that we serve and that we wouldn't serve anyone who didn't invite us. As I think about that and think about the model of Jesus, often we say in Mercy Ships that we follow the model of Jesus. And Jesus also, his example is that he also must be invited. He doesn't force his way into the lives of people. Uh, we see that illustrated throughout scripture. And so in Mercy Ships, we say we follow the model of Jesus. And I, so I think in the very first place, we only come where we're invited. Hmm. And I think those host countries who invite us are courageous and are, are very determined to serve their people in a unique way because, because it costs them something to host us in their port. A ship the size of one of our vessels is a, is a big ship in many of the ports that we visit. And the, the presence of the ship in the ports that we visit means that another commercial vessel can't occupy that space in the port where the Mercy ship is sitting. Mm-hmm. And if the Mercy ship wasn't there, then they might could have a, you know, a, a container ship unloading and loading cargo. They might could have, have a bulk carrier loading some kind of natural commodity, but instead they've, they've offered to put the Mercy ship there at, at no expense to us. We don't pay to, to put the ship there the way that those other ships pay for that space. And of course, we offer a great service to the people, but it does cost the government economically something to host the visit. And in addition to that, there's a lot of other logistical arrangements that have to be made for the ship and its crew to sit in that port for, for sometimes, you know, 10 months at a time. Hmm. There's a lot of um, responsibilities related to immigration of our volunteers and the loading of the supplies that we need to do the work that we're doing. We receive a lot of supplies through containers, that kind of thing. So those governments have to really be committed to, to hosting the ship visit and providing the services that we need in order to do the, the projects that we can do. Mm-hmm. So it costs them. And so it's important that they count that cost and invite us and be willing to take, take on their part of the contribution to hosting a Mercy Ship visit. And we wouldn't want to do that unless they were really able and willing and, and desirous of that. So we applaud those who host us and we're so thankful for the invitations. And I think in the years that have passed since Mercy Ships began and when Don founded it in that way, slowly, port by port, nation by nation, we have established a a good reputation, thankfully, among the countries that we've served and proven that it's that it's worth the contribution that they make in order for the ship to come in and provide the services that we can uniquely offer. But it's because of the character of the people who serve on board our ships that that reputation has been maintained for so long because the services that we can pr- that we can provide on the ship are unique, um, but they could also be found in other ways if, if absolutely necessary in, in other hospitals or other places. Hmm. So it it um, it's it's really a, a credit I think to the volunteers who have served on the ship before I came along and after after I left there we've had fabulous volunteers over the years that are so committed to following Jesus and serving others in His name that we're allowed to continue and that we get invited over and over again to serve. I assume in your role that you had opportunities then to have obviously face-to-face conversations with some of these dignitaries and government leaders. Were you ever nervous or intimidated (laughs) or fearful in some of these meetings you had? I was always nervous. (laughs) Um, 
And I just tend to trust the Lord. A lot of the places that we work in in Africa are mainly the expectations for leadership are often that a man is a leader and not often a woman. And so I was sensitive to that, you know, and if you're in an Islamic country, even more so um, that there are traditions and customs that are expected among people in, in government positions and in leadership positions of many kinds, civic society and that kind of thing. So I needed to learn in every port that we visited what the culture was and what the customs were and to try to ensure that that I respected those things while also holding the responsibilities that the organization expected of me. So I was always nervous because every every situation is new and the, the culture and the customs in each country that we serve are different and the people and the dynamics are different. But I just found that if I trusted the Lord and I prayed and I asked him to give me discernment and wisdom of how to conduct myself and what to say and how to act, most of the time it, it turned out okay. And <laughs> I, I think the others that we're working with sometimes may be nervous too, because they don't quite know what to expect of us. And we're, we're very unusual compared to some of the other things that they are dealing with sometimes. So it's, it's all a learning process. We all get to learn on both sides. You said that we're invited into countries that we serve in. And in some cases, we're invited over and over again. For example, the Africa Mercy just arrived back in Dakar, Senegal, having been invited back after we had to leave in March of 2020 due to the pandemic. Now, during that time, you were the managing director on board the Africa Mercy. The pandemic came, we had to shut down operations and leave as quickly as possible. Tell us about, about that experience. It was, a, it was a difficult time. For those who were on board, there were a lot of unknowns that we were facing every hour of every day. And as the pandemic first became apparent and was announced by the World Health Organization, we weren't sure what the implications to us would be and how we should respond as a vessel and in the state of operation that we were in. And so we just began to take in the information that we had about it and try to decide how to respond. And the the first decision that was made was that we were going to stop doing surgery on board the ship. And we did that out of uh, respect to the patients to make sure that we weren't putting them in a position to transmit the infection to them. And also because immediately the problems with the pandemic began to affect travel. If we think back to when it first began and that there were problems with people transiting through Europe mm. and uh, Paris and those areas. And so our, our medical volunteers began to, to encounter trouble making it to the ship or leaving the ship. And without the right volunteers in place, we also weren't in a, in a good position to be able to continue uh, offering surgery. Mm. So it became clear real fast that we needed to stop doing surgery and then we needed to decide what else uh, to do. And like you said, the ship is invited to a country and they trust us to provide the very best care for their, their citizens. And of course, we want to do that. And so the, you know, another consideration that we had at that moment then was what, what do we do with all the patients? I, I believe that we had maybe 250 patients or so either admitted to the hospital on board the ship or living ashore at the Hope Center, uh, the facility where they can stay after their surgery until they're ready to go back to their community. And it was a lot of people to try to figure out how do we make sure that they, their care is as complete as it needs to be if we were to leave. It took, again, some time to figure out who we could refer them to and how we could help them make it home safely and not, not leave anybody in a position where they could uh, be vulnerable to reinfection or postoperative problems. And, and of course, we had a number of Senegalese also working alongside us to do all these things for those who aren't familiar you know, with our ship like like you and I are, in Senegal, we had about 250 Senegalese who worked alongside us as translators and drivers and cooks and, and many things. 
to help us serve those patients. And so we needed those, those Senegalese day crew to help us as well to, to find places of, of care for our patients and also just to help those day crew process what was going on. Um, because if we were to leave, then their, their employment with us, their commitment to us and our commitment to them was also being broken. We couldn't just sail away quickly, um, without just beginning to think of those things, let alone all of the equipment and supplies and practical things that we had sitting on the, on the ground in Dakar, uh, whether it's, you know, vehicles or medical equipment, basic practical things that we had in our facilities ashore. There was a lot to think about. It began with every passing day that the travel began to be more difficult, that the concerns over the the spread of infection became um, higher, then it became clear to us that that we probably needed to leave. But again, there were all these questions to be answered. So it took a couple of weeks for us to get to the point where we had arrangements made for our patients, where we had storage arrangements for the things that we were responsible for, and where we could have those delicate conversations with our partners in the government and in the healthcare field there to work together to make a plan that that met everybody's expectations and didn't disappoint them. Because as you said, they invited us and trusted us. And we we wanted to make sure we left everything in the best way possible. So we we had conversations with the government about what we were doing. And we all agreed that it was the right course of action. And we promised to come back. And hmm. so it's who would have known when all of that began that it would take as long as it has for the world to become slightly more normal again. Right. And, and, and to the degree that we can bring the ship back to Senegal. So it was with wonderful rejoicing last week that the Africa Mercy returned to Senegal. And we were just so pleased to see it return to the port that we sailed away from almost two years ago and to know that we're going to be able to go back and serve those patients who are still waiting for their surgical appointment and reconnect with those Senegalese day crew who worked alongside of us mm-hmm. and um, with everyone that we were uh, collaborating with on serving the people of Senegal. Yeah, I remember being a crew member on board during that time. We just really respected your leadership so much and we did not envy you whatsoever. There was a lot of tough decisions to make and a lot of unknowns and it was changing moment by moment. But thank you so much for your steadfastness and and your leadership. What was that like for you to have to stand in front of the crew and tell them we're leaving? It was heartbreaking. And nobody wanted to leave. I didn't want to leave. The crew didn't want to leave. People, of course, were so disappointed uh, because they came there with hearts to serve. And all of us were experiencing the disappointment of unfulfilled expectations and wanting to do something that clearly wasn't going to be possible. So I shared the disappointment and the grief of every crew member who, who didn't want to leave, who didn't want to go home, who didn't want to sail away, who wanted to provide those surgeries to those in need and continue with the the training and the, uh, the activities that we were doing there. Yeah. Well, as you said, the Africa Mercy is back now. Unfortunately, you and I are not on board <laughs> <laughs> to finish what we started. But what does that mean for you knowing that the ship is back there finishing what we started? Mm, it brings me such joy. It was heartbreaking sailing away from, from Dakar in March of 2020. And so knowing that the ship has has returned, that the volunteers are there, even though I'm not there. And even though you're not there, I know that there are wonderful volunteers serving on board the ship with hearts to love and serve the people of Senegal. And I know that the impact that will continue there now over the the coming rest of the year will be just as much uh, as it was when we were there. And it, it just brings me joy to think of those crew members 
reaching out to the patients, whether they're the patients who we're waiting from before or even new patients who we've met in the meantime, knowing that there's a, a good reputation that was left there by those of us who served on board the ship in the first field service, and that that can continue now and those crew members can build on what we started and make even more in the, in the future. So may the Lord be with them and may he protect them and um, the, the patients that they will serve. And it's my prayer that, that their, their field service there would be so fruitful. Uh, the surgical results for the patients who come and the training of the medical professionals who want to expand their skills, strengthen their uh, capacity to serve their own. May the Lord be with them. Did you have a standout person or a favorite person that you got to meet or connect with in one of the countries that you served in? Um, I think one of my favorite memories was one of the neat things about the, the ship ministry as well is that sometimes patients come to us from countries that are neighboring countries of the place where the ship is is sitting. And so maybe we're sitting in one port in one country, but we know of patients in the next door country who also need help. And so years ago, the Anastasis visited the nation of Guinea. And we had the privilege of, of working on board at that time and getting to know some local missionaries that lived in that country long term. Later, the Anastasis moved from Guinea to the neighboring country of Liberia. And at that time, the missionaries became aware of somebody who needed the kind of surgery that we could provide on board the ship. And they reached out to us and asked if they could bring the contact, the person that they knew, to the ship in Monrovia. And we made provision for that. They brought the, the patient. She, she came all the way from Guinea to Monrovia, which was a long, a long, long journey, had surgery, and then returned to the remote village that they lived in in Guinea, which was deep in the interior of Guinea. The patient was a woman, a Muslim woman who had had quite a disfiguring problem on her face and jaw that, that, that the surgeons were able to correct. Years later, the Africa Mercy returned to Guinea again to Conakry. And that was during the time that I was the director of the ship. And the same missionaries are still working in the interior there that, that were before. And we were able to go visit them in their interior village where they lived and were able to visit the patient that was brought to Monrovia was from in the meantime, it, many years have passed since that originally happened, and the patient has since passed away. Mm. But when we, when we spent time with them in the community that they live in, there was still an ongoing discussion of this woman's life and the transformation that had taken place in the surgery that she had received and the impact of that that it had on their village hundreds of miles away from Monrovia and dozens of years later. So it creates a bridge for our friends that are serving long-term there as missionaries to be able to talk with people about mm -hmm. God and who he is and the kind of hope that exists in him. And so to be able to see that story full circle for years just gives me hope that there's more out there like that, that we want to be about. Wow. That's pretty neat. How special to get to go back, you know, years later and visit some of these countries that you were in previously, but can you share with us maybe one transformational moment for you or how you have transformed because of your service with Mercy Ships? I think it just gives me a deeper understanding of the work of God in the lives of people and that the work of God in the lives of people is often not what I expect and mm -hmm. not maybe even what I desire until my desire conforms to what he desires. But when, when we have that opportunity to meet so many people and see how God is at work in them, it broadens your perspective of who God is and what God is able to do. And so it gives me faith to believe God, even when times are hard and I can't, can't see it clearly. It helps me remember that 
that he's bigger than what I see around me in the, the community in which I live right now and the situations that I might be facing in my own life personally right now, that he's a big God who's at work in the whole wide world and has been for all time. Mm-hmm. And so to, to have, have a, a more personal experience seeing how he works in people and in, in cultures and in situations that are so different than my own. Yeah. Just gives me faith and hope mm. that, that he's still at work now and in, in situations that, that concern me now that may be small or very different compared to the kinds of things that we talked about, but that God is still concerned with on a, on a personal level for me and my family and the things that concern us. So worry, why mercy ships? You could have served anywhere. You can serve anywhere. But why did you choose Mercy Ships and why do you continue to choose Mercy Ships? The people that I've had the privilege of meeting over the many years that I've worked with Mercy Ships, those memories stay with me and those testimonies stay with me. And I know that there's many other opportunities out there in the world to serve and be part of the stories of other people whose lives are being transformed as well. But in my case, I've just met those people and and understand that big story so well. And it, it stays it stays with me. I've been transformed by it. The others that I've talked about today have been transformed. And it's exciting to think about the possibility that, that more are out there um, mm. that God has, has a plan for and that we could be a part of. So it's, it's my desire. It's what gets me up out of, it, out of bed in the morning is just to think, you know, how can we be a part of catalyzing the work of God in the lives of people who are still waiting to mm. have the kind of practical help that they need medically and also to have the kind of spiritual hope that comes about as we go about the, this work that we do. Well, Warrior, thank you so much for sharing part of your Mercy Ships journey with us today. And thanks for inspiring others to come serve with us. Oh, you're so welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. And it's been a pleasure to share with you and the listeners about our experiences serving with Mercy Ships. And I hope that it is an inspiration and a source of hope to people who are asking the Lord how to serve and what to do in response to his call. So we just encourage everybody who's listening, if, if Mercy Ships is on your heart, then please get some more information, reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you about the opportunities that there are to serve and to pray and to partner with us in serving the people of Africa. Thank you again. Thank you. For more information about this episode, visit newmercies.mercyships.org. Next week, we'll hear from Amber Desaki. She is a nurse from the United States who got on board the Africa Mercy in 2017, and after four field services, she returned home with her life changed and a brand new future ahead of her. Come back next week to hear her incredible story. 